do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there. I'm Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Thanks for listening to Talk About Talk. This is where we come to learn and talk about all things communication. Because when we communicate effectively, we can be a better manager, colleague, parent, partner, and friend. Today, we're talking improv. Specifically, we're learning lessons from the improv stage that can help us communicate more effectively. So yes, I interviewed a comedian. Two, in fact. Sandy Marshall and Sandy Jobin-Bevins. Both Second City alumni who now teach improv skills. In this podcast, you'll learn lessons from the improv stage that definitely apply to the real world, off the improv stage. Whether it's pitching a sales presentation, or encouraging creativity in a brainstorming session, or maybe it's talking to your kids. These improv lessons definitely apply. I have to tell you, at the end of this interview, my face was hurting from smiling so much. Trust me, you're in for some laughs. So here's how this episode will unfold. First, I'm going to introduce Sandy and Sandy to you. Then we'll get right into the interview. After the interview, I'm going to list the lessons from the improv stage that Sandy and Sandy shared. This list of lessons from improv can also be found in the show notes on the Talk About Talk website. So sit back and enjoy. Okay, first, Sandy Marshall. Sandy Marshall is a Chicago Emmy-nominated writer and producer. He has over 20 years experience creating comedy and building businesses. He's a former vice president at the world-famous Second City Works, and he's now a faculty member at the Second City Training Center. Sandy Marshall created the satirical business column called Workish. He's a frequent business speaker, a two-time NASA social alum, co-founder of Toronto's Ensemble Learning Series, and a four-time jurist at the Banff World Media Festival. As an actor, Sandy Marshall has appeared alongside Vince Vaughn in Ron Howard's The Dilemma, on Comedy Central's Still Hungry, and you can see him in PBS's Emmy-winning Odd Squad. You may have also seen Sandy dressed up as an Exxon scientist in some TV commercials. Have you seen those commercials? Well, that's him. The other Sandy, Sandy Jobin-Bevins, is a nine-time winner at the Canadian Comedy Awards and an alumnus of the legendary Second City main stage. In addition to appearing in many commercials, Sandy Jobin-Bevins has also appeared in The Great Home Giveaway, Hot Box, You Kill Me, Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, Life with Boys, and Deal With It. More recently, you can see Sandy Jobin-Bevins in the Lifetime movie Flint, on the NBC sitcom called Bajillionaires, and co-hosting the show Just Like Mom and Dad. So yes, these Sandys are certainly qualified to teach us about improv. While they know each other from the world-famous Second City stage, Sandy and Sandy are now partners at a firm called Norman Howard, a Toronto-based comedic content shop. Over the years, they've delivered content and training for many companies and executives. Today, they're sharing their insights with us. Sandy and Sandy, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you, Andrea. It's good to be here. Let's start off for people that maybe don't have context. And can I ask you, Sandy Marshall, to describe what is improv comedy? Improv comedy. I'm going to start an answer, and then I want to hear what Sandy Jobin Bevins has to say as well. <laughs> sure. I would say improv comedy at its core is about listening and thinking on your feet. Improvisation is an art form that's been around for quite some time, and comedy. The improvisation really is thinking on your feet and being agile and building on what someone else is saying. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. It doesn't have to necessarily be comedic to be effective. You could be an improviser that's or using improv techniques and not have to be funny. Our background is in the comedy side of it. So if I was to go to an improv comedy show, 
Can you share with the listeners just how that would unfold? Sure. Yeah, probably would have a host who would come out on stage, welcome everybody. Hopefully that person would not say, how's everybody doing tonight? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they might actually be truthful. <laughs> yeah. actually say, we're just okay. Yeah. Bill Hicks used to say, as a stand-up comic, he used to say that when you say, how's everybody doing tonight? You've just wasted three seconds of your time on stage. So That's don't, right. I would just assume everyone's okay. So That's right. actually, when I was learning to do podcast interviews, yeah. someone said, don't ever ask people on mic how they are. And yeah. I've noticed since then that very few interviewers on the radio, you rarely hear them say, how are you? But every now and then you hear an inexperienced person say, how are you? And then you go, <laughs> yeah. what? Because it's just it just gets awkward and <laughs> no, slow. No, it's an unnecessary right. moment. That's right. Yeah. So the host would come out. <laughs> yes, back to the uh, <laughs> back to the show. Uh, awkward That's silence. right. Yeah. So if you're seeing a, if an improv show may consist of, you know, a series of improvised scenes or monologues or songs with an ensemble of somewhere between three and six or seven people on a stage. Sometimes the scenes themselves are much longer. Some are shorter. There are distinctions in improvisation between long form and short form. So get to the joke quicker, you know, beginning, middle, and end. In some cases, there's a long form. It's a little more like jazz. It might be a longer scene. Really, the the show consists of a group of people making everything up on the spot based on a suggestion from the audience. Yeah. And and when the show goes well, people often uh, watch it and say uh, that had to be planned because it was so good. It had to be planned. And then when the show goes bad, they never want to see a a comedy show again. So the best thing I think that can happen to you is that you can have, say, say you had six scenes in a night, five are great and one's terrible. So they realize, oh, they could never have planned all that because they wouldn't want that terrible scene to be Mm. there. Yeah, it's very true. If it's too good, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's detrimental. It's it's a strange thing. Because then people think it's, uh, oh, it's planned. It has to be planned. There's no way you guys just thought of that on your own. Yeah. I think that fact about something yeah. being too consistently good yeah. affects a lot of context. It just reminded me when people write a recommendation online, for example, there's research that shows that if they're glowingly positive and they refuse to say anything negative about it, then people discard it and they say yeah. that it's not credible. Yeah. If You just have to say one little thing and it's kind of like five out of six awesome improv skits mm-hmm. that was real right. <laughs> right right well it's like a resort you were talking about a resort and you're like the beach was amazing the food was amazing not enough towels and you're like yeah. now i believe it yeah and then suddenly <laughs> yeah so you see what i mean yeah. that's all it takes yeah. yeah so when you first described or defined improv comedy the first word that came out of your mouth actually made me very happy it was listening People have asked me, what do you think is the number one most critical communication skill? And if I had to choose, it would be listening. So hopefully we can we can build on that a little bit when we get into the section where we talk about improv skills. Sure. As you were also defining improv, I was wondering, are the three to six people on the stage, are they competing? Are you competing with the other <laughs> comedians? Well, the whole idea of becoming an improviser is that you wouldn't be competing because we always talk about we've got your back or we always talk about being others focused as well. So if you're making other people look good, that's a huge skill we have as improvisers. I think if you're competing, it's a good idea to go be a standup. Uh, um, and okay. I think that's definitely a different atmosphere. Certainly there are people who become pretty competitive on stage, but then they end up just doing lots of scenes alone. <laughs> it's very because, true. Yeah. Because nobody wants to participate. In no, no, it's yeah. not. It shouldn't be like that. Um, huh. The great shows are when everybody's there to look out for the other people that are on stage. Oh, it sounds like fun actually. It is. It is very fun. It takes time to become a very good improviser, but it doesn't take much time to go to an improv class and just start. People have a blast doing it. And, you know, we teach a lot of corporate improvisation and teach improv skills to a lot of uh, big companies. And that's the first thing. They're very trepidatious. And then they realize, oh, we're laughing. We're having a good time. So did you take classes on improv? Personally, I was in Winnipeg and I was studying to be a high school history teacher. A friend of mine was saying, well, we have an improv and sketch troupe and one guy can't make it. Could you improvise in the show tonight? And I was never had improvised my entire life. Never taken a class, never done it ever. Yeah. 
And he's like, you seem pretty funny. And I did it in front of a paying crowd of like 300 people. And uh, that was my first time ever improvising. And uh, I didn't take a class until about six or seven years later, because wow. when I got to Second City, they're like, you should take a class <laughs> to at least know like the terms we use. You didn't know the vocabulary? <laughs> no, it, no, not at all. So I was like, okay, that's So okay. what is some of the vocabulary? Uh, I'd say like a core tenet is the phrase yes and. Yeah. So okay. using the word yes to build on an idea that somebody else is offering, something, something we might say in as initiation or an offering in an improv scene, you know, things like callbacks mm -hmm. or edits or support. There's a thing that every improviser does before a show and they'll say, got your back. Like, so before the group goes on stage, everybody's backstage getting ready to go on with a lot of confidence, a lot of energy. Just a quick moment where everybody, you know, one-on-one -on -one says, got your back, got your back, got your back, got mm -hmm. your back. And it's something we don't really see in everyday life as well. Mm. And Sandy's saying, like, we work with businesses or groups. You can tell pretty quickly if a group does have each other's back or doesn't. But in the improv world, when you're doing a show, ideally you're going out and you're really focusing on how can you best listen, work with your fellow improvisers and get each other's back and then have fun along the way. Because if you're not having fun, the audience definitely is not going to be having fun. No, and they're the first ones to notice when things are going wrong. They always are. Yeah. The audience knows something's wrong or there's bad improvisers that's going on right now. Other thing is offers. Offers are things that you make a suggestion in a scene and an offer should be accepted. So the yes and side of it is, the yes is I heard your offer and I use your offer and and is then build on that offer. And offers are a big terminology, I think, in improvisation. The problem so you, from, think you don't literally yeah. say the word offer on stage? No, it's just you, that's, a, that's what you call I it. See, I made I an see. offer and you didn't accept it or I made an offer it was great that you accepted it would be something you talk about after the I show. See. The thing about coming from out west was we had all these other terms like pimping. So pimping is when you say to somebody, okay, now you're going to sing a song. So you make somebody else do the the thing you don't want to do. Oh, uh, and in Winnipeg, we used to call it shiving each other, like a jailhouse term. <laughs> nice. like I got the shiv there. Thanks nice. for shiving me in the back nice. with that one or whatever. So, so in the here. show notes, yeah. I'm going to have to have a list of the vocabulary terms that we're learning here. <laughs> yeah, but, right. but I just have to say, <laughs> there's been now probably at least three times in just in the last couple of minutes where you yeah. guys have said things where I'm like, wouldn't that be nice if we acted like that at work? And wouldn't right. it be nice yeah. if that was the kind of camaraderie that we had before we went into a big brainstorming meeting or we went into even a board meeting? Yeah, it's more like, don't screw this up, John, rather yeah. than I've got your back. It's like, yeah. It may be the competition thing, right? Versus mm -hmm. the, we're in this together. When we teach uh, improvisational skills to people that are generally in business, they tend to pick up things and go, okay, let's make it easier for each other when we do like pair exercise and that. Salespeople tend to go, I try to make it hard for Steve and Steve figured it out, but I just kept making it hard for him. They're very competitive. They're trying to make yeah. each other, they're trying to mess each other up. They're often trying to find, how do I win this particular exercise when you're not really supposed to win them? But they do look for it. They look for the way to win an improv exercise versus uh, just make the exercise Like I'm forward. the funniest and you look like an idiot. Yeah, just to make you look bad. They have the opposite idea of how improv works. And a lot of that comes from fear as well, I think, too, mm -hmm. right? So if in the boardroom or on stage people aren't naturally supportive, there's always something else going on. Improv can be a real metaphor towards where somebody is on the day. And mm. early on in improv classes, one of the first things we do teach students is that this is a safe space to be confident and to take mm -hmm. chances. And in life, we don't always hear that, especially in the business world. If you're new to a company and you're getting onboarded, you might hear, we really want you to take chances and, and yeah. help you know, us think of new ideas. It may not be a company that walks the walk with that. Right. And somebody might confidently share some ideas and quickly get shut down, right? So you really have to walk mm. the walk with that. And as you're training to be an improviser, one of the first skills you need to really develop is confidence and being confident to speak in public, confident to 
take chances in front of total strangers and an audience of people that have paid money to be there. So in that scenario, you really can only rely on the support of your fellow improvisers to get your back. And that helps continue to breed more confidence. But when you're seeing that competition or people pimping each other, in some cases, it's just kind of in good fun because everybody's been doing this a long mm-hmm. time. It's kind of a fun way to mess with each other. In most cases, it can be about fear or lack of confidence or something else. Yeah. And I'm sure when that kind of stuff happens on stage, there's a reciprocity right away. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And in some cases, like in the in the business world, if you hear people get shut down in meetings, something I often think of is it's okay. Whatever. You'll be okay. Point where you don't take it personally. You're more like, are you okay? Yeah. All right today? I want to say one thing, though. I've actually taught an improv class at a company. So what we try to do when we're teaching these improvisational skills to to businesses is you can't have anybody in the room that's not in the workshop. So you can't have someone standing on the side with like a clipboard or like they would, they try to do it. They often try to do it. Sit on the side. Because they're curious. I want to watch how these people actually are in this scenario and then start, let's start an a- analyzing how these people are in our company. So that's not a very comfortable way to jump into an improv thing. And I actually had a client uh, a couple of years ago who I said, look, nobody can just be standing on the side. They have to be involved. I know you're probably going to make judgments. These people are going to still make judgments, but they're going to be involved and be, be there. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. He showed up at the workshop and walked up, shook my hand, said, nothing I could do. These four are going to watch. So he ambushed me, totally changes the tone of the room because there's now 20 people going, am I going to keep my job because I made a bad offer as an improviser? Wow. So they do try to, I even had a scenario where I was teaching, uh, the, a guy got fired. He got fired because his, his uh, offers, they didn't like them. And she, the person in the class was, make, was secretly grading people basically and just said, "Today we come in, Ted's not here anymore. So like, wow, they fired this guy. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. basically what was happening there was their objective yeah. was completely different from what you thought the objective of the training completely session was. Is. You thought completely. you were teaching them improvisational skills yeah. that they could then translate into real life and real work. And they were, let's put them in this awkward situation and see who sinks and who swims. That's and whoever exactly sinks it. is gone. That's exactly what they were doing. And they just thought like, yeah, it's, Ted's had enough warnings. He's gone. So that was really weird and shocking because now everyone the next day, the second day was like on edge because he's not there anymore. Is this Survivor? It's, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's the completely wrong attitude to have when you're bringing improvisers in to teach uh, communication skills or storytelling or things like innovation. It's like, you know, if someone didn't innovate properly, they're fired. That's not the right message for sure. Or they didn't brainstorm properly. Yeah, gone. No, you know, they say there are no bad ideas. Well, actually, there are bad There's ideas. There's that one idea Ted brought. <laughs> He's gone. Yeah. And, and the funny thing about building on the one idea, funny thing about that is oftentimes that idea is the germ for the solution everybody was looking for, but they just didn't see it in that context on that day. And imp- improvisers going through training programs will often say, I just didn't get a lot of stage time. Yeah. You know, and you're like, that's okay. Like not everybody gets this. There's nobody gets the equal, mm. you know, amount of stage time. Mm. If you go to an improv show, back to your earlier question, you won't see everybody play equal number of crazy characters every oh. night. You'll see some people surprisingly play a lead a lot, and some people play support just because that's a natural evolution of those scenes. I can remember there was one audition way back in the day where there were a couple of people who quickly took like center stage, and I was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna sweep the floor, mm-hmm. and I end up getting yeah. the gig because I was just the sweep the floor guy in the background and wasn't trying to compete, but it was just- Were you literally sort of sweeping the floor? It, with a, with a mimed broom. A mimed But I gotta, say, <laughs> I gotta say, the mimed broom, and that gets to object work, so like terminology you're asking about, that's, that would be called object work. Miming objects. objects and miming and, objects yeah. that don't exist, so it was a- That was gutsy though. Dire. That was gutsy though, right? Gutsy, it was, yeah. I mean, and it's- Well, you stood out by taking so, a back seat. Yeah, just by taking a back yeah. seat, yeah. so that, that would be- But also demonstrating that you were engaged. So I love how this is going back and forth between 
what is only appropriate on the improv stage yeah. and then what is only really appropriate in the boardroom and understanding mm-hmm. about the kind of implicit or tacit communication that's going on amongst employees, right? It so you need to know contract. your audience. You do really need to know your audience, which is a big part of what you instruct when you're talking to improvisers for sure. I and mean, it's like, that's the skill that people learn when they're doing storytelling or presentation skills. Knowing your audience is so much different, right? So there's knowing them in advance, yeah. being prepared, right? Yep. And then there's also getting to know yeah, them as you, you're performing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can test an audience as you're doing it. There's some simple ways to test an audience mm-hmm. when you're doing it. Swear once, see how that goes. Uh, maybe do something like uh, maybe a little pushes a sexual envelope, see how that goes. <laughs> like there's certain things uh-huh. you do. So very go through early the taboos one by one. Oh yeah, you just like you can filter through like four or five pretty quickly in the show and go, now we see where our audience is at and where they want to go or where they don't want to go. And because if it's a random theater crowd, you don't know who they are until they arrive. So I was I was actually watching some stand up on the weekend. I think it was Kevin Hart. Mm And he said, you know, the thing about going on stage is everybody there wants to laugh. Well, 99% of them yeah. are there because yeah, they, they want to laugh. Yeah. The one, right. There's probably 1% that really is just trying to shoot you down and heckle you. That's a big part of being a performer is definitely to accept that the audience wants you to succeed. It's just like going to an audition, too. If you're going to audition, the casting director wants to succeed because that makes their job a lot easier. They can pick somebody who's going to be great. I tell that to my kids when they're going to tryouts. The coaches yeah. want you guys to kick butt, so mm-hmm. go. Makes their job easier, you know. Well, and also when you're casting, you don't want to sit there all day and see everybody be not terrible. do well. No, yeah, you want, to, <laughs> you want to see them rock and yeah. kill it. So yeah. you want to create that environment where they're set up to succeed and they know it's a safe place. And you're like, even those small little moments when somebody's coming into a casting session or an audition to go, hey, Andrea, we're glad you're here today. You good? Okay, great. Have fun. It's cool. You've sweated about this audition or this scenario for at least a week, if not two. You've talked to 10 other people mm. about it. There's a lot of pressure in the industry about what this specific moment could be. But let's put that aside and just know, hey, we're just in this room on this day and hopefully you can have fun and, you know, maybe it moves forward. And if not, then maybe we'll see you next time and it's all good, you know, because you don't want to be, I think in those moments, there's this like industry perception around the crazy audition or like it's all this pressure in that and there is, Mm -hmm. but a a lot of it doesn't need to be there. And the people Mm -hmm. who are um, auditioning in those scenarios or casting, they don't want people to in their heads or no but i would say the worst audience <laughs> is you. if it's your ex-girlfriend so that's <laughs> oh. bad if you have ex-girlfriends boyfriends ex-husbands wives uh, well yeah for sure and then you can tell when there's people in the audience that just hate you so they're like they just want you to be terrible can you share any details uh, i only would just say like i've had the experience of like you are performing sketches or improv after your ex-girlfriend's troop has been on and they've been terrible and then oh, you go on she's stage a comedian too yeah oh, then you go on God. stage and it's just like they're like just arms crossed like i hate this so there are definitely those kind of scenarios where this person can't stand me i they are here to watch me fail that just definitely happens so in yeah. the analogy then back to the boardroom right yeah. is the guy that goes up to do the pitch and then he leaves the room and his colleague goes in to give a different pitch and only one of the pitches is going to be accepted. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a zero sum game. And mm-hmm. the thing about comedy though, is that it's not a zero sum game. You can laugh at everybody. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, you, that's they broke up with you and then you're upset. <laughs> I guess I'm just keep circling back to that. <laughs> it's a long time ago that I remember this, but that did come back to me that that is an example of a bad audience member right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's out to get you. If, and also, to your point, if you're able to laugh at everybody, you have to start by laughing at yourself and being able to look in the mirror and go, hey, like, I'm not perfect. I'm kind of giving it all and having a lot of fun in this scenario. And if people are doing that, they're like, okay, I can, I can do that as well. So there's mm-hmm. balancing that you said before confidence, right? So there's balancing the confidence yeah. with also not being too full of yourself. 
For sure. I think yeah. the confidence piece is I'm confident in being like imperfect and flawed and I will make a ton of mistakes and I'm going to have a lot of fun along the way. And if you want to come along for a ride, that's cool. And the audience appreciates that for yeah. sure. The honesty of like, I made a mistake and I'm going to own it. They'd so they say self-deprecation, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like low-hanging fruit in stand-up. Sure. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. For sure it is. The greatest stories are how bad the audition went. And that's the story you tell at the bar, right? And my wife's an actor too. And often when she's about to do uh, an audition or a callback or something, I'll say, look, Either have a great audition or have a great story. Just come home with That's something. Great. So come back happy or come back with I like, I got to tell you what happened. It was so brutal. You are going to be quoted on that. That's it's, beautiful. It's, that is beautiful. It's so much fun to have a bad audition story when it goes wrong. It is just so, it's gold. The story is gold. Yeah. So, and then the analogy there is when you go to do a job interview, right? Mm-hmm. And you either get the job yep. or you have a good story. That's exactly it. Because that, that is an audition. It's a job interview every single time. So when you're pitching business, to use that as a, contextual tie-in to improv and all yep. this like stuff we're talking about with pitching new business if you're pitching a new client as an example people want to see you be able to react to questions out of nowhere think on your feet they don't want to see a deck for a hundred slides that's mm-hmm. a know your audience piece no more than mm-hmm. 10 slides but they also want to know hey if we ask you a stumper question or if you know carol the the main boss comes in at the last half hour out of nowhere that you're going to be okay and that's where the improv training comes in we're kind of in a boardroom like, you know, if you're pitching business in the boardroom and you've already improvised, there's really not a lot that's going to be potentially worse than some of these crazy audience <laughs> situations or scenarios because it's in an office in a protected environment, rules and regulations. But sometimes it is high stakes you. and it's nerve-wracking and you've got the adrenaline going. And, and I think yeah, for sure. when you're giving presentations stakes. and people are firing questions at you. And I, um, more objective. But as improvisers, we often say uh, to play the scene you're in, not the one you want to be in. We say you play the scene you're in, not the one you want to be in. That's a great mantra or quote as well. I love that. I love that. So, and it's also at a meta level, it's Mm -hmm. the scene you're in, like what is your life or what is your job, right? Yeah. But then there's also, I was actually thinking you were going to say something about your kid who you thought was a goody goody and a straight laced A plus comes into your house stoned. Mm. Play the scene you're in, right? You can't say like, you should be this, or I thought you were this, or we should, you know, you're exactly, that's exactly it. Or it's like, you know, you're great scenario for for parents. Uh, Your kid comes out, says, I'm gay. Play the scene you're in, not the one you want to be in, right? Those kind of scenarios. Or I don't want to go to college and Mm -hmm. you have to play the scene you're in, not the one. It's a great point. And like tying the, the play the scene you're in piece along with what you're saying, Andrea, about answering tough questions or being in a corporate scenario or being in the hot seat. There's another piece of lingo, which is a really simple phrase called thank you, which we use all the time, where if a tough question comes up and you're, so you say you're pitching business and if somebody asks you a really tough question, you go, thanks for the question. It immediately diffuses any sort of anxiety you might have just by a little bit. Mm. It gives you two seconds to think about your answer. Mm -hmm. And it also tells the group you're cool with it. It just level sets everything. It's a little piece of jujitsu in those high pressure situations. Let's you go. Let's you say, oh, thanks for that. Okay. Well, here's what I think. I think you got to be careful with the tone though. The way you're saying it is very like, great. Right. But you can can also (laughs) imagine the sarcastic. Thank you, Diane. Um, Wow. Okay. Wow. You, thank you for that. I was uh, in a flow, but you've just stopped it for your question. Thank you you for that soul killing question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, but you're right. Like a genuine, like (laughs) thanks in that moment, taking time to connect with a person Mm -hmm. helps diffuse any sort of pressure you might have over answering it. And also just gives you a chance to sit with it for a second versus going, Oh, uh, well, 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 and I think it's those micro moments that make everybody else ill at ease in business situations. Yeah. If the power goes out or if the deck doesn't work, 
So it's like, hey, if you're presenting, don't take the hundred slides. It's a follow-up. Like it's a big win to go into a business pitch and just have a conversation with somebody. That's improvised. Obviously, you have to keep the train on time. You have to get your points across. You have to have a beginning, middle, and end to a conversation. But at the same time, if you don't hit slide 49, literally nobody cares. And <laughs> yeah. a lot of put, people put a lot of pressure on themselves to have that scripted hand because they may not have just the comfort of having a real conversation or they might have the pressure of getting all these ideas across when you really could do that over a long, longer period. Of time. I just have to say, I feel like you're speaking to me, the podcast host that has the list of questions in front of them, <laughs> trying really hard not to look at it's, them. Uh, it's, this, so this is funny. actually an intervention uh, for you, and I hope you appreciate it. It's going to get really tough for you in about 10 minutes, but we're just easing into the real intervention. <laughs> oh, great. So, okay. I, so, and I, know what I, I have gonna... a letter from your child here. <laughs> Dear mom, uh, no, I think the... <laughs> Sandy does have a letter. That, that, really does have it. <laughs> what coffee would you like? Yeah, yeah that's, oh, right. that's right. That, that is such a true point to say thank you. And I'll tell you one thing that is a gift when people have a question. Everyone else might be thinking it. And, I, and often when you pitch to a boardroom of people and no one asks a question, you leave there and they're like, I don't really understand that. I didn't want to ask a question, but I understand it. So moving on. That right. at least gets that they're interested and engaged and clarified. And I think that's a gift to people. That, that's agree. why they think you should be genuine. That, you're really good at asking yeah. that. You say that quite often on calls yeah. and in meetings. You're great at that. You'll say, I have a question that everybody else might have, but I'm fine to ask it. Yeah. What time do we have to be there tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, well, whatever right. it is, right? Because What's like, everyone wearing tomorrow? What's the if next step of this thing? Yeah, what's everybody wearing? Like, <laughs> it's true. Because then everybody goes, thank you for asking the yeah. question that was on everybody's mind. I've actually seen that in board meetings when somebody asks something and you physically see people go, oh. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness someone Thank asked. you for asking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So then if you are the one that's on stage and you explicitly thank them, then it kind of really just reinforces that you're putting everybody at ease. Well, if you say thank you to a suggestion from the audience as an improviser, they're going to give you more suggestions later. But if they give you a suggestion, you're like, oh, really? Okay, fine. We'll go to a gas station. They're never going to give a suggestion at any improv show again because they're humiliated. You're you're embarrassed in front of them. hundred percent. That's something we see with newer improvisers a lot when we're teaching is – They'll say, hey, can I get a suggestion for a location? Paris. Nah, not that. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, then forget it. Like yeah. the audience is I'm like, I'm not giving any more. All right, those. never mind. So not only that, like, everybody everybody like, forget like, it. I'm not yeah, giving yeah. a suggestion. Yeah. So, so that's that's going against the the yes and. Yeah. You don't say no, that's not a good no, idea. You no. always say yes and. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, and, and we're in Paris. Are we yeah. in the market? Are we at the Yeah, you can Paris? push it for sure. You can totally say that. Like, let's take it, let's shrink it down a little bit. You can totally do that, but you can't just say no, we're not going to Paris. If you don't want a specific suggestion, by the way, there's a trick that a lot of improvisers use called burning a suggestion. And oh. It's kind of a backstage thing where you'll say, can I get a suggestion for a location like a Starbucks or a bathroom? Yeah. Or, yeah. And so if you don't want a specific suggestion, you put it in the, in the ask. So can I get a suggestion for a character name like Sandy? Yeah. So then if someone says Sandy, then you're like something besides that. Then you... You're creating this agreement with the audience that you've already suggested a couple of examples already. Because yeah. usually when you're doing some of these shows and you yeah. ask for a location, everybody will always say a Starbucks or a bathroom. If you get 200 people Donald's in the audience, or, yeah, really? Starbucks or a bathroom. First, can I get someone famous? Donald Trump. So you want to say like someone famous like Donald Trump. Then you just burn that. You don't have to do it. And it's mm-hmm. out there. It's a great idea. To yeah. So you don't want to do a scene about Donald Trump. No. No, nobody needs to see it. We're seeing it every day. We don't need to see a scene about Donald Trump. So can I get a famous person like Donald Trump or Jesus? Yeah. So when you're doing <laughs> no, work, work for unknown. That's right. You're agnostic you know. or what is it? You don't like, you would never talk with Jesus. That's your thing, right? I would talk about You Jesus. just did politics and religion. In that's, one, ex- that's exactly move. it. So like one of the yeah. things yeah. you don't want to do in some unknown audiences <laughs> or corporate audiences, you don't want to ever tackle politics or religion, yep. right? Because in those scenarios, and like when we're getting ready for these shows, we'll usually ask the planners, 
when we say something, who's everybody going to look at to see if it's okay to laugh? Yeah. And they'll say, Carol. Great. Can we get Carol on a call? That's a great they, question. We often ask that. And then That's they're usually really honest with us and they'll say, you know, because uh, they'll, they'll often say, we really want you to push the envelope. We really want you guys to kind of go for it. They may, they may, but they may not know what that necessarily means. So really pushing the envelope might be something super, super offensive or unplanned or unknown for this one company, right? So yeah, we usually just say, who's everybody going to look at to see if it's okay to laugh? And then usually that we're pretty honest. Such a and then we'll see if we question. can get that person on a call wow. or to sign off on the actual content. And then if they're in on it, then the show goes way, way better. Oh, yeah, definitely. Huh. Okay, let's move on then. Sure. What is it or what are the things that comedians do that makes them so great when they're on the stage? Is it, for example, mm-hmm. and now you're going to yeah. have to say it's not that, <laughs> yeah. is it filling awkward silences? Is it creating awkward silences? Is it taking people outside of their comfort zone? Honesty is, for me, key. Honesty is always key. So doing things that people relate to that you can have an entire scene that is just about a simple activity that everyone does and that can kill because everyone goes, oh, I can relate to that. That's exactly how it would be. There's a famous uh, scene in Second City called Shower where it's a guy just having a shower when he washes his uh, penis. (laughs) Anyway, the crowd goes crazy because they're like, man, that's his shower. All he's doing is having a shower. And it's funny, but that's a very honest thing. Honesty would be really big. Yeah. Knowing who you are and having fun with that. Mm -hmm. I think it's a keen keen understanding of who you are as a performer and as a Mm -hmm. person and being okay with it. I am a tall, lanky, dorky person who likes to do math on the weekends. (laughs) So like that's, if I know that. Aren't you a dorky scientist in a commercial right now? I play a dorky scientist in a commercial, which is a dream come true. It's actually, (laughs) yeah, because all I do is I just show up in my own lab coat. Yeah, you do. With my own clipboard and my own safety glasses. I can't unsee that when I look at you. Thank you for saying that because it's actually just like it is on the weekends. No, but it's like, I think if if it's, so if we think of like delightful people who we love seeing on stage, they're just having a blast every night. They're laughing. They're there to have fun and to play. So there's there's a play element in that that should be fun. It should be relaxed and chill and rewarding and that kind of thing as well. But it should also be fun. So when you're seeing people like being honest, they know who they are, but they're also having a lot of fun with that. That's something that's really hard to learn over time. Because I think when you're coming up as an improviser, you're like, I want to be exactly like this person. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to grow up to be the next so-and-so and and -and so-and-so or whatever. But then you're like, no, it's like, I'm just going to do my thing. Then a lot of stuff unlocks and the audiences respond to a lot more. Then you become more comfortable with not having to be all things to all people. I think the confidence thing you're talking about with like not being too polished and I'm super confident guy. You know what I mean? You're like, no, I'm just having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I think comedians are also successful if they are respectful of the audience. They know what the audience wants or where they want to go with this. And they uh, certainly when a comedian starts to freak out on some audience member we've seen that's happened, uh, the audience all hates that. No one likes that. Or if there's someone heckling, they take care of it in the right way. And I also think a very important part of being successful in comedy is knowing when the show is over. Time is everything and leaving them wanting more, of course, is an old saying, but it's very true. And a lot of comedians lose the show because they go too long. I feel like all of these things that you guys are listing are all lessons in life. They are. Yeah, maybe they are. Yeah, exactly. No one to leave the party, right? That was the Johnny Carson phrase, which was, I left the Tonight Show because you got to know when to leave the party. So when you're actually at a party... Yep, there's 10 people left. I don't want to be the last guy. Yep. I'm going to leave now. That, yep. That's a really important thing. That's exactly what it is. When you're pitching something, make it short, make it till it gets to the point, and then get out of there. Mm-hmm. Make yeah. them curious about what what, yeah. you, what else you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. And one other one that I have to throw in as well is empathy. And so people who are really good improvisers, I feel like, are really empathetic. And they're just good human beings. And they, you might be like, oh, that's a really good person. But it's because they're really great listeners they're really empathetic. Uh, yeah. You see that in the business world all the time. <laughs> yeah. And people don't have that extra dose of empathy. So yeah. improv really teaches you that, like seeing something from somebody else's perspective or just knowing like, 
it's not all about this show. We also want to be good people in like life, right? Yeah. Like we want to be good people like yeah. in the world. So like I think that's a thing like in business and comedy and improv and life is like are you just focusing on making the other person look better? Mm-hmm. Are you focusing on trying to do a little better for the world every day versus a little worse for the world? And if you are, then that's then you're successfully improvising. That's right. What are the skills that the employers are looking to train their staff in when they hire you? They want to break down silos and get yeah. people talking to each other. And hmm. But they, that's a big one right away is like, how do we get everyone talking to each other? In so so it's social. Yeah. I think you're right about it. The core is talking to each other yeah. and communication. Like that's probably at the base. I think if you're looking for extensions or like some tentacles, right? Like to the big hydra that this would be. You would have change management or effective mm. brainstorming, mm. presentation skills, storytelling. Um, every company in the planet on a first call will always, 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 always say without without hesitation, we're going through a lot of change. So yeah. everybody's always going through a lot of change. And we don't, then people don't like it. They don't like it. Yeah. So how do we deal with that? Yeah. So change management, when you're improvising, you're literally dealing with change on the fly in front of audiences on the spot. Mm. So how can we unpack yeah. those skills and teach them to people who work in offices every single day so that they manage change more effectively? Okay. So change management's a big thing. Okay. I need to be mindful and I want to get to the five rapid fire questions. Great. But before yeah. I do that, do you have anything else that you want to add about improv and thinking and talking on your feet? The thing I would add is thank you for having us. Mm-hmm. It's been really <laughs> fun. It's fun to hear what both of you guys have to say about this. In terms of thinking or talking on your feet, I guess I would add that there's really no right or wrong. Exactly right. Everything that's right or wrong is an offer. In fact, the mistakes are where the best comedy comes from. Always. The mistakes are so golden. And so many great sketches and improv scenes come from mistakes. So Mm -hmm. being afraid to make mistakes is the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Be free to fail and fail fast and all those things they say. But go be terrible if you have to. And as some people say, just dare to suck. Yeah. Dare to suck. (laughs) You know? Because then you have story material. Oh, my God. That's the best stories. Okay, now I'm going to fire the five rapid fire questions at you. <laughs> Great. Okay, so Sandy, Jobin, Bevan. Yeah. First, what are your pet peeves? Uh, where do I start? Is really yeah. The why is, oh my gosh, so many pet peeves. Um, well, currently my pet peeve is the uh, cat down the street that keeps crapping on my lawn. But that's not really a <laughs> universal pet peeve. I think uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I go to pitch doing a show or teaching, and someone starts off a meeting and says, "You know, I don't like comedy." But uh, what are you guys going to do? That's an incredible thing because I'm so sad for that person. I'm just like, you're, I just, my, my golden moment there would have been just, you have a sad life. And then end yeah. the meeting. <laughs> That's a big pet peeve to kick off by saying, I don't like comedy. We've actually heard that now. Oh yeah, several times. Yeah, yeah. I don't like comedy. You know, I don't like comedy. Does that mean I don't like to laugh? Yeah, I don't like to live. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what kind of life is that? It's crazy. If that's my pet peeve. Okay. okay, Sandy Marshall. My pet peeve is when people don't do what they say they're going to do. So if they're, I'm going to email you by Friday, and they don't email by Friday. I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So not making commitments. Because of not making commitments. I think being non-committal. Um, and Sandy will attest to this. I think it's when people actually just don't get back on email. I'm like, yeah. how could you not get back on email? Yeah. Like, we're... We're rocking on this thing. We're rocking on this email thread. Nothing oh, back, well, eh? well, there's a lot of people that have a lot of email issues. Wow, there interesting. There are people that, in my close circle of friends, that have over 14,000 unread emails in their mm. inbox. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine? No. That's... Yeah. I honestly want my gravestone to... Re- literally, I wanted to read, at least he got back on email. <laughs> I actually want that to be that's on good. my gravestone. It's noted. 
Thank you. I have a paper for you to read. Okay. Great. Um, Sandy Marshall, again, what type of learner are you? Probably, I learn most by doing something. Probably a physical learner, by performing or teaching or directing. Okay. I learn most by making mistakes. So if I screw up, I generally learn from that mistake. If I'm doing things great, I don't learn anything from it. Next question. Yeah. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert, totally. 100%? Oh yeah, there's no doubt. And Sandy Marshall? I would say introvert. I, I think I can dial up the extroversion when I need to, but you know, looking at what extroverts might get versus introverts to like recharge the battery. I yeah. get my battery recharged like by reading books over the weekend. You said earlier you do math on the weekends. I do math on the weekends. <laughs> You're just a total nerd on the I weekends. Hardcore <laughs> on the weekends. Thanks. How do we all really feel? Let's have this be the intervention. I find a lot of stand-up comedians are introverts for sure. And that's why they just get so freaked out after shows when everyone comes over to talk to them because they're like, they just really want to go home now. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it's like paralyzing almost. It's really mm. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. We shouldn't make assumptions about a person's personality based on how they're no. acting in no. front of the class, in front of the boardroom, on stage. Absolutely not. The <laughs> next question is communication preference for personal conversations. Sandy Marshall? In person. I always like in person over phone or email. I do a lot of work over the phone, a lot of work over the email, but I really like person. In person the most. Completely agree. In person. And they're both looking at me with their heads nodding. Next. Uh, <laughs> Rapid fire. Last question. Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most? You have to listen to Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You. I think that's the, that's the smartest, best podcast oh. that's out there right now. Dexter Guff, please check it out. I will. It, I completely agree. It is, really? it is actually, I, I think it's the funniest podcast out there Yeah, right now. Dexter Guff. Is oh, I am here. definitely going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to it today. Huge fan. It's so, so Start from so the beginning because it has an over arc that happens through the whole thing. So Okay, I'll put a link to that Hilarious. in the show notes so the listeners can also take Please a listen. Please do. Please do. Is there anything else you want to add about improv and thinking and talking on your feet? Tuning into how many times you hear yes or no during the day or in your own language is interesting. I think something from our side of the table that we can sort of hear after a while is when people tend to say no a lot. It's kind of, you know, we're sort of, are your antennas up to it? Just pay attention to how often you're saying yes and how often you're saying no. Conversely, there's a really good book about saying no called Essentialism by Greg McCown. It's one of my favorite books. It's a business book, but it's all about setting up clear boundaries. So when you get into improv, obviously, like Sandy's saying, you have to keep the train on time, know when the show is over. So you have to have fixed boundaries as well. So looking at when no can also be effective in life is really useful because if you say yes to everything on the planet, you're just gonna, you're not gonna get anything done. So I think you have to kind of balance both of those, but you know, listening to when you say yes or no is interesting. I have absolutely nothing else to add. Thank you. <laughs> Except a little laugh. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise and I had fun. We had a blast. I'm speaking, speaking for you, but I had a blast. I had a blast as well, okay. Sandy. Thanks for having us, Andrea. <laughs> My face actually hurts from smiling. Oh, great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thanks for having us. What type, of, what type of learner are you? Are you audio-visual? Definitely visual. Visual? I think we need to hear your rapid fire on the podcast. Well. That's right. At some point. Very true. Maybe next time. Gosh, I do hope there'll be a next time. That was fun, wasn't it? Thank you, Sandy and Sandy. To be honest, I learned more in that interview than I thought. I knew it would be fun, but I had no idea we'd learn so much from improv that can be applied off the stage. To summarize our learnings, I categorized some of the things that Sandy and Sandy suggested in terms of three things. Preparation, content, and tone of an improv performance. Okay, first, preparation. At the very beginning, Sandy Marshall said, and I quote, Improv comedy, 
at its core, is about listening and thinking on your feet. So in order to be able to truly listen and think on our feet, say when we're giving a presentation or teaching something or participating in a meeting, we need to be well prepared. Then we can focus on the moment, on what's going on in the room. That is the essence of improv, right? So preparation and confidence are key. And if you're not feeling so confident, I heard something from Sandy Jobin Bevins that helps me a lot. Consider this. When you go to an audition or a job interview or a sales pitch, you either nail it or you have a great story. It turns out that mistakes are where the best comedy comes from. But it actually goes beyond comedy, right? We've all heard the stories about how incredibly accomplished people learn from their failures. So, don't be afraid of failure. In fact, there's no such thing. You either nail it or you have a great story. The next thing in terms of preparation is knowing your audience. Starting with who is going to be in the room. Remember Sandy and Sandy saying that you can't have anyone in the room that's not in the workshop. The learning here is to know what everyone's role is who's in the room. They also made a great suggestion. Ask in advance, who is everyone going to look at to see if it's okay to laugh? If possible, set up a meeting in advance with that person to get them on side, and then everything will flow. Now, related to knowing your audience and moving on to the content of your improv skit or your presentation, there's getting to know your audience in the moment, testing them. There are some simple ways to test an audience when you're on stage. Comedians will sometimes try a few taboos, sexuality, politics, religion, and see where the audience wants to go. Swear once and see what happens. In terms of content, the Sandys are big proponents of preparing the 100-slide deck in advance, but then having a completely improvised conversation. Obviously, you have to keep the train on time. You have to get your points across. You have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end to a conversation. But at the same time, if you don't hit slide number 49, literally nobody cares. And speaking of slide 49, there's timing. Timing is critical when you're on stage. But timing is critical in much of what we do offstage too. So whether you're on stage or maybe you're out late at night at a party, we need to know when the show is over. And we need to leave them wanting more. Here's another big one. Play the scene you're in, not the one you want to be in. This is a core tenet of improv, and I love it. Play the scene you're in is a beautiful reminder in real life to be in the moment. Now last, there's tone. Successful improv comedians respect the audience. That means using empathy. That means listening and being a good human, as Sandy Marshall said. And Sandy Jobin Bevins talked about the power of honesty and simplicity. In terms of tone, the point about competition versus cooperation is a huge one in improv. Did you notice how that kept coming up? For much of what we do offstage or in real life, it's a zero-sum game. When someone gets the job or the promotion, that means someone else does not. It's competitive. The thing about comedy, though, and particularly improv, is that it's not a zero-sum game. You can laugh at everybody. If you're competing as an improviser, as Sandy Jobin Bevan says, you might end up doing stand-up, not improv. Improv comedians act as a team. Remember the pre-show ritual backstage? Got your back, got your back, got your back. Can you imagine the creativity and productivity that might result if we really acted as if we had our coworkers' backs? Wow. As we know, in real life, people are often competitive and confrontational. Sandy Marshall suggests that if someone is confrontational, you can diffuse it with, thanks for the question. So if a tough question comes up and say you're pitching business, and if someone asks you a really tough question, just say, 
thanks for the question and say it sincerely. It gives you a minute to think about your answer and it calms the room. Sandy calls it a little piece of jujitsu in those high pressure situations. And do you remember the core tenet of improv called yes and? So using the word yes to build on an idea that someone else is offering. Yes, I heard your offer. And then and is I build on that offer. So when someone in a meeting suggests something, try responding with yes and, or maybe in a conversation with your child, yes and. And that leads me to my last point. Count your yeses and nos. Tuning into how many times you hear a yes or a no during the day or in your own language is a powerful way to gauge tone. Phew, I told you there was a lot to learn from Sandy and Sandy. If you want to review these learnings from the improv stage, they're all listed succinctly in the show notes. For me, two things that stood out the most are yes and, as well as the fact that when you're pitching something, you either rocked it, you succeeded, or you're coming away with a great story. I love that. Which of these learnings resonated the most for you? I'd love to hear. Please connect with me through social media or email me at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. If you're into learning more about how to improve your communication skills, I encourage you to sign up for the free weekly Talk About Talk email blog. Every week, you'll learn about the latest Talk About Talk podcast, behind-the-scenes insights, inspiring quotes, and other things I've found that will help us improve our communication skills. You can sign up easily on the Talk About Talk website, or shoot me an email and I'll sign you up myself. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks again to Sandy Marshall and Sandy Jobin-Bevins for sharing their expertise and for encouraging us to laugh. Have a great week and talk soon. Talk soon.